Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome back to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. So today we get to do another of the interviews for the You're Not Alone interview series. If you happen to be a returning listener, then I'm so glad you're back. Welcome back to listening to Phoenix and Flame. If you're new, then I'm so glad you've joined us. We're going to be talking today about divorce. As I've said before in quite a few of my earlier episodes, I'm a psychotherapist, and so I get to hear a lot of stories, and uh, divorce is really prevalent. And I don't think people really understand that haven't gone through it themselves or heard directly from someone who has gone through it what it's really like. And I know everyone's different. Everyone has a different story. And I've said that a lot in my episodes that everyone's on their own journey. And so I'm, I'm very much an encourager of not judging what other people are doing. We're all on our own journey. I think that even the, if it's not oxymoronic to say an easy divorce, even the easy divorces are not easy. They're hard. And so I really wanted to do an episode with a guest who has gone through that and has gone through a particularly uh, hard situation with divorce. My guest is Kimberly, and she has come to share her experience and her story on what that was like. It went on for quite some time, and it was it was difficult. And so I'm going to let... Kimberly, take the mic and maybe give us sort of like a, a general overview of sort of what it was like for you um, going through your journey of divorce. Thank you, Dana, for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate this opportunity to share. If I can help even one person that might hear my story. I think that yeah. um, is a blessing to be able to help somebody. Absolutely. And um, so I'm glad to be here. I will try not to break down. As I was preparing for this, once you asked me to do it, just thinking through it brought back some of the things that I've kind of compartmentalized and put away, you know, because I've moved on and I'm in a good place now. But just bringing it all back out makes me tear up a little bit. So I'll try my best not to lose it and be a blubbering idiot. <laughs> well, let me tell you what, this, this podcast is about authenticity. So if you get to a point and you're starting crying, then you cry and I'll start talking about something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just, that's part of the process. I want really us to be real and realize we're not robots and these things are hurtful. And sometimes crying is perfectly appropriate. And so if that, if you feel that coming, just let it come. It's okay. Okay. I'm a crier. Yeah. Um, so let me start with just telling a little bit about my story. It started back in 2013 when I began to go through the process. We had been married 22 years at that point, but just to be honest, uh, there were a lot of red flags throughout our whole uh, marriage. I mean, we had two beautiful children together, and for all purposes, it appeared to others as we were a completely normal couple. 
and uh, we did function normally, I would say, in public, but behind the scenes there were many things, there were many red flags that I ignored, hid, you know, didn't deal with that I needed to, and so around 2012, 2013 is when those red flags and his behavior became such that I couldn't hide it anymore and that it was harder and harder for me to function and for my friends and family not to realize there was something very wrong with our situation. I was wondering real quickly, the the effort that it took for you to do the hiding, because mm-hmm. um, I've talked to other people before who've had to do the very same thing, Looking back now, do you do you feel like it pulled away energy that oh, you, that you could have had to to spend in other areas of your life? Yeah, and I didn't recognize it. I didn't realize I was doing those things. Yeah, definitely running around like a crazy person trying to fix things that were going on, make everything smooth. Right, walking on eggshells. Um, I'm trying to think of the analogy a friend of mine told me, something about a fire truck and call a um, an emergency happening and me being the only one that was fixing everything, putting out the fire. And so that's how I would describe it. Okay. So when those things started to fall apart and the ability to hide the pain and the... I mean, for me, he was very emotionally abusive. And it was hard for me to recognize that. Like, I knew there were things going wrong, and I couldn't put my finger on it. Like, I just thought this was any bad marriage. This was, we just weren't communicating. I did several things over the years to try to to make our marriage better. And nothing really seemed to help. So I just felt like I was floundering without really figuring out what was going on. Well, and I wonder, I hear too, how a lot of times these things, they seem to start kind of insidiously. Like it's it's so slow yes. and creeps so slowly. It's like the, the frog in the pot exactly. kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, it's just kind of you don't realize and, it's, and you keep making excuses because that doesn't make sense. Right. Or that that can't be true. And so you just and you have a family and you have a life and a job and things. I mean, you just keep going, mm-hmm. you know, until it reaches that fever pitch, which sometimes is many years later. Yeah, that's exactly how I describe it. Like I knew that the water was getting warmer all those years, but until I was scalded, I didn't recognize that this is. I've got to get out. This is wrong, and so. I guess there were episodes where I couldn't I couldn't hide it anymore and my friends and my my mother kind of knew that there were things for cuz she had witnessed some of his really horrible abusive outbursts towards me. Okay. And you know, part of my problem was that you know, he would get over it in the next couple of days and pretend like everything was normal and then I would just act normal. And so I was enabling it, you know, instead of confronting it. And and it went on like that for years until really around 2013 when it became intolerable at that point. 
what was there one was there a straw that broke the camel's back i know was there one thing that just kind of just pushed you right over the edge or was it a series of things or was it more of just a an overall feeling was it something somebody said uh he became let me back up and say that I became more aware. Like I said, for years I thought there was something wrong, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. I didn't have a label for it. So as I began to research a little bit more and to be more aware of what was going on and to be less intimidated and more aware that what was happening to me was that he was trying to isolate me and he was controlling. It became very, very controlling and abusive. And so the more aware I became, it gave me more power. And that um, intimidated him that much more. And it escalated. It began to escalate at that point. As I became more well and aware, he became, it escalated. And I guess that's kind of where, I guess, the tipping points began. But I mean, like, he went so far as to turn off my phone, block all my friends. He would get on uh, Facebook and message people in my behalf. Mm. Those kind of were like, okay, this is, you know. It sounds like at that point, it's like you were getting stronger. So he was having to resort to more extreme measures to keep control over you. Correct. But in so doing, he was sort of outing himself. Right. He was exposing his dysfunction to those around you. Yeah, because uh, particularly the phone thing was with friends that had we were social with, and they had no idea anything like that was going on with us. So I had to explain it. And then began, like, not letting me go out socially with friends to um, a birthday party or something like that. And, you know, I covered it up, covered it up, until finally I just went to and started saying, hey, this this is what's going on. Yeah. And from that, it began uh, a journey to, to heal. Seems like that took a lot of courage for you to be able to go to your friends and say, even though your friends, you know, obviously cared about you and loved you and everything, still after so many years of, you know, being that frog in the pot mm -hmm. and making excuses and anybody would in that situation, you know, mm -hmm. and getting to that point and then, going to the friends and saying, look, this is what's going on. That that probably took quite a bit of, of courage. Absolutely, and it's so embarrassing. Like, I think that was the biggest piece of it, just embarrassment, you know. And then once I decided that I didn't, I didn't care as much about the embarrassment, I, then, then I felt much freer to, to begin a road of healing. Mm. that's a place of power when you get beyond you know it's that I don't I don't care that, about the embarrassment I don't care about any of that I'm just mm -hmm. I'm moving forward yes and something that I'm hearing in what you're saying is a lot of it is a boundary issue it's you know trying it's it's feeling like you're being held responsible for something that doesn't belong to you absolutely you know behavior that doesn't belong to you thoughts and feelings that don't belong to you but in these abusive situations and these controlling situations you know, the victim is made to feel like he or she is responsible for the other person's behavior. Like they have to fix it all and, and keep it all on the DL and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it's not, it's not your stuff, but mm -hmm. it feels like your stuff. Yeah. I would describe it as 
eggshells, walking on eggshells every day, trying to like not break any of the eggs mm. and to keep happiness for him and for my household, for my kids. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you walked straight, if you walked a straight, healthy path, that's going to require cracking some eggshells. Yeah. And in your situation, if you cracked some shells, what would happen? What would that mean? Right. Just, I mean, anger for sure. And, you know, facing that. And, you know, I definitely don't feel like I was brave in the beginning. I I didn't want to face that. I would just, I wanted to make everything good all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to, to face those kinds of emotions. Anger is a very strong emotion and a lot of people that are very controlling use anger to drive and to control others it's just it's hard to face a lot of people will do just about anything to not have to deal with someone's anger and what feels like their wrath and it starts out like emotional but you're never really sure when it might turn physical you don't think it will but then and in plus in marriages sometimes there's even a sexual abuse component where the wife gets forced into things that she doesn't want to do, and it's mm-hmm. all mixed in together. The emotional controlling, the possibility of, of uh, physical abuse, and then the, the sexual controlling, too. There's always, almost always a component in that. Yes, and I, like I said in the beginning, it, it was very mild. You know, the flame was lower, the heat wasn't up, and then, like I said, as I began to heal and be more aware, that's when those type of things began to surface. Because people have asked me, you know, was it like this for all 22 years? And, and no, it wasn't. But it definitely would escalate in there, there in the end to where I became physically afraid. I was afraid of him physically yelling. I, would hi- I had to hide up behind doors. He would bang on doors. Never hit me, but spit in my face. You know, for sure it was going in that direction of physical Mm-hmm. Anything you want to share at all about thoughts and feelings about the impact on the kids? Oh, Because I hear a lot of, and I'm in conversations with people a lot about that kind of thing and the, the feelings that the victim later carries yeah. because of that. Well, it's definitely, I think, there's such a... Um, conflict about what's the best thing to do is it better to stay or go and as a Christian woman I was very conflicted about just leaving period Mm -hmm. and I think that was really the biggest thing that held me back for years is my Christian belief of divorce and so the children witnessed so many episodes that I mean even at a fairly young age they would they told me, Mom, you need to you need to leave. We need you know, you need to leave. I think you would be better off divorced. But I think at the same time they didn't know what that would mean to us. Right. You know. They weren't processing that on an adult level. Right. They just knew they were witnessing two adults that were too much arguments and and that was hard for them. My daughter was her senior year of high school, and my son was in his freshman year. So even though they're older, it was very traumatic, I'm sure. And and it, I, I see a lot of it in hindsight because I felt like they were more okay than they probably were. Mm. So it's definitely one of the hardest parts 
of divorce is what it does to the children, regardless of how old they are. Because I feel like if they've been younger, you know, it would be taking them away from family. Because he was a good father. I'm not going to say he wasn't a good father. Right. He was. He was there, his present for his children. He took them to school. He got them up and got them dressed. Took them to sporting events. As the functions he did was a good father. Mm-hmm. And so that would have been partly taken away from them. But at the same time, they continued to witness two unhealthy adults making their household unhealthy. So, I, you know, I don't know what's the right or wrong thing to do. Leave early, leave late. I really, you know, I don't know that I did the right thing. In one way, I feel like I did. My sole reason for waiting, not sole reason, but I guess the biggest you ask about a turning point yeah. was my daughter was old enough to drive. And by doing that, because I knew when I made that decision that it would not be a mutual, okay, let's part ways on a nice level. It was going to be all out war. And I knew that. Mm. So he in the past, when we had conflict and he got mad at me, he would punish the children. Mm. He would not take them to school. I mean, like, I would have to figure out how to get them to school that morning when I had to be at work at 6 a.m. Oh, goodness. So I knew that that piece would be played, that card would be played. So when she was able to drive, then I knew I could get the kids where they needed to go. That's a lot to process, you know. I mean, in rarely are these cases or in individuals, there's nobody that's all black and all white. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a mixture. And then when, when you have someone, it sounds as if, you know, he was quite manipulative and using and not being beyond using the kids sure. in the manipulation. And this is not particularly uncommon either. And it's right. very, very frustrating for the wife and the mother. Yeah, it's damaging because... It's, I think at that point it would be so easy to give in mm-hmm. and thereby enabling it much further. And for a woman who doesn't have the means to either support herself or the ability to get the kids where they needed to go, I can see it all crumbling and then you would just cave in. And I feel like, you know, I would have. I probably would have. Mm-hmm. If, that's that's a big deal. Yeah. The, the financial piece mm-hmm. and a, a lot of... A lot of moms end up staying, exactly like you're saying, in situations much, much longer than, you know, would be healthy for her because it's like she doesn't know. She has children that she's trying to take care of, and she cannot financially do all of that Mm -hmm. on her own. Maybe she has limited support, and knowing that the abuser, you know, is going to just continue, that it's not going to make it easy. And so she she feels like she has limited choices. And I, I truly have a heart for those people. Even a very wealthy couple, you know, if she didn't have her own job, she could be completely cut off. And I think that would be, I mean, that wasn't my circumstance, but, I, you know, I think about that and I, ha- I would have a, a heart for those people. Yeah. Yeah, when you have someone who's, who's behaving in an abusive way and very controlling, mm-hmm. then they, you know, typically go right after the, the money source. Absolutely. Because you can control a lot with that. Right. I was kind of wondering, when you're going through all this, and I know, you know, some people, the divorce itself, you know, trying to, because some people when they start, because you mentioned a few minutes ago that you knew it was going to be all at war. 
um, some people, when they start the divorce process, it, it goes fairly well, as well as something like that can go, and then other times, not so much. What was the most frustrating thing for you as you started and you made that, you jumped off the bridge, so mm -hmm. to say, you know, you made that initial jump to do something that you had previously been so scared to do for so long. What was the most frustrating thing for you as you were trying to navigate these waters of divorce, mm -hmm. the divorce proceedings? Well, geez, I, there's no way to, to narrow that down to one <laughs> thing being frustrating, but... I mean, mine was maybe unique, maybe not, I don't know. But just in the beginning, even, you know, I know there are wedding planners. I, I, like, I wish there was a divorce planner, like Ooh. someone that would help you. There's a job out there for somebody, I'm <laughs> yeah. telling you. Um, Sounds like a good one. Yeah, because I think this opportunity is up for this to listen on this podcast is wonderful. It's a, a blessing because podcasts were not so popular back then no. and I was afraid to buy a book to to research on what I needed to do I mean even just wrapping my head around emotionally what I was doing but the financial aspect you know do this do that stop this account you know all of that was a big learning curve that I was trying to do and uh, that that whole thing is it just is difficult to even process but I mean you have to find an attorney you have to figure out who to trust you know just asking friends about and a lot of people don't want to share that they've gone through a divorce you know you, you don't want to look it up on the internet because that might be seen so by, in, by him by him okay so right? you like watching stuff that you were doing absolutely like checking on you sure sure so it's kind of hard to figure out where to go for resources if exactly. someone's if you feel like someone's going behind you mm -hmm. checking like doing the history on your computer yes. or pulling up your phone records or whatever mm -hmm. like that you're like well how can i how do i if i have someone who's looking at all of yeah. that how do i get the information exactly so i mean i would find myself taking a few minutes at work to try to find to get online and find an attorney. Okay. Beyond that, just asking for word of mouth. And like I said, unless you know somebody who's gone through a divorce or and that they're willing to share, they might not be open to sharing. But just navigating the beginnings of how to do it and which attorneys that I could afford, what kind of their plan was, and making that step because it's so intimidating, so scary to make even that first step to go to an attorney I mean I went to probably two or three before I chose one um chickened out a couple of times okay. but probably cried through the whole thing because they they kind of want to hear your story that yeah. first step okay. and they want to you know they talk about the payment plan so you know that was a good hour of crying <laughs> in somebody's office oh my yeah so I guess that is probably the first most um, frustrating thing. So once you started that process, what are some pitfalls and frustrations that you had to deal with as you started down that journey when you actually made the choice to get a divorce, which it took a while to arrive at that, like you explained earlier. And once you finally made that choice and you found your, you know, your attorney and you started your particular journey of the divorce proceedings, trying to actually get divorced. Mm -hmm. What are some things that, uh, in your experience, was hard to deal with, was frustrating? 
Well, I would hope that in most circumstances when the divorce, you decide that you would part ways and move out. That was not going to happen for us. He refused to leave, and my attorney suggested that I not leave because I needed to be there for the children. So we were both trying to live in a house together. Oh, my. And that became completely abusive, more so, where I began to fear for my physical safety and the safety of the children at that point because he was threatening that the children would be taken from me from children's services uh, for me taking my son to the mall, you know, crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I began to really fear for them and for myself. Because it sounds like he was losing control, so he was really going to some extreme measures to regain that. Right. So he... uh, we filed um, an order of protection, so then he was forced to move out. And so that was probably, other than my father passing away, the most difficult day of my life was the day that he was forced to move out, and that was completely traumatizing. Now, the kids were not there and didn't see that, but Mm -hmm. completely traumatizing. Oh, my. Yeah. What did you find that was... Um, encouraging or helpful to you during all of this? It sounds like it was so uh, arduous and frustrating and and like at every turn there was just something Mm -hmm. that was thrown in your path that was obstructing you and you were, you know, you're trying to get through this dense forest. What were some things that you can remember that were encouraging to you Mm -hmm. that were helpful? Oh, well, there was a lot. I mean, uh, first step for me was to like I said in the beginning, admitting and letting my friends in to that dark place to know what I was really dealing with. And I think that's step number one is to stop hiding and being honest. Okay. Uh, Because then it opens doors to people to help you. And then once I did that, I began to, I think, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the word courageous. I don't know if I would describe it, but it does take courage to reach out and so step number one for me was to reach out beyond my friends to the church and so again if finances are unlimited you can you know go to a therapist go to a counselor I needed for it not to cost a lot of money so I reached out to the church and fortunately I'm a member of a church that has a lot of resources and classes and a therapist there that would see me that's wonderful so I I reached out to her and she began to see me and then she um, asked me to or suggested that I go to a class that she had at church for women and described it and it fortunately it was getting ready to start in a week or so and it was about uh, codependency Mm. because I think for me recognizing that it wasn't all about him that it was about me, my decisions, my part of that. And that was eye-opening for me to see, you know, you've been in this marriage for 22 years, so you've been a participant in some of the bad decisions and and allowing those things to happen to you and how I communicated. And so, anyway, it was like a, 
semester-long class there at church, like January to April or May. And so opening up, hearing those other women's stories and learning about myself and forgiveness and all of those pieces. That was probably the turning point for me to be able to begin to heal. Sounds like you were able to find a place that was not judgmental, you know, that they, you, you felt that you could be yourself, that you could be authentically you and you could, you know, express your feelings Mm -hmm. and explain your situation without feeling because you were with other people who Mm -hmm. were going through something similar and that they, that you felt like you were understood and not judged. And when we're not judged, then we don't have to be defensive and we can let our guard down and we can be totally honest. We could just let it all pour out and really see that receive that healing for sure you know like I guess a lot of people think that everybody in the church and probably I did too are perfect and that they they would judge me and like I remember one time he got angry with us at church and left us at church Hmm. and we didn't have a ride home and um I was thinking that I mean that was far before me joining that group but thinking there's nobody in this church that I'm going to tell. I need a ride home. We need a ride home. Me and my two children need a ride home. Yeah. But, you know, the Lord opened this door to this group of women and that I, like you just described, did not feel judged. And, like, I poured out my story and nobody said, this is what you should or shouldn't do. They mm-hmm. didn't say it's okay to get a divorce. They, But they, they gave me the tools that I needed to make that decision for myself. Mm. And, um, and recognize that it was your choice, not theirs. Right. And respected whatever choice you were going to make. Yes. And was the first step in many for me to become emotionally well and to recognize my own issues mm. that played a part into the whole thing. That, you know, you're hitting on something that I've talked about before in some uh, earlier episodes about the importance of small groups, mm-hmm. of, of being able to find yourself in a group of people, uh, wherever that may be, um, that you can come in and hear other people's stories and feel comfortable when you want to to share your own and then it not be judgmental and you do feel heard. And then you're really talking about things that are very solution focused and something that is you know, creating an environment that feels healing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a big proponent of the small groups. I I mean, I I feel like that was a changing point for me, and uh, I I would recommend it for anybody. Well, that's awesome. Well, before we wrap up for today, I was wondering, as, um, as you were going along your journey and kind of accessing different resources and things, is there a particular book or a song or a scripture or anything at all that you ran across that you found particularly helpful that you would like to share with our listeners out there in the Phoenix and Flame community? Sure. I have several. Just recognizing that it's for sure a journey and there's many steps along the way, but like I did have several as I was thinking through and preparing for today that I just have forgotten about, but that were super important to me. The biggest one was for me was my faith and this getting back into my relationship with Christ and realizing that like one thing I want to say is that 
you know, we all, as girls, we want to rely on our daddy. And my father had passed away, so I didn't have that, you know, dad to say, here, let me take care of you. But recognizing that I did have a heavenly father and just tapping into that. But there was a couple verses, and if you don't mind me sharing, I'll read both of those. So the the first one was Philippians 4, 6, 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the second one. And I, before you go on to the second one, I'd like to add verse 7 on that, mm-hmm. the Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. The rest of that goes, And the peace of God, which transcends all yes. understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yes. And I like the way it separates out your heart from your mind mm-hmm. because we know that's different. That's yeah, and awesome. then the second one was Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. And through rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Because that that one was really spoke to me because I did, there were times when I felt like I was going to drown or just catch on fire. And there was one night I have told my friends that I remember distinctly just being so anxious and overwhelmed that I, if I could describe it, I felt like the only thing that would make sense to me at that moment was just to take all my clothes off and run through the neighborhood completely naked. And maybe I would feel better. I mean, obviously I didn't do thank <laughs> thank goodness. But just that overwhelming anxious. And so I put these and several other scriptures on note cards and basically just tried to I would describe it as brainwash myself by reading them every day and knowing that I had a source of comfort and a greater purpose. And so I would read those every morning as I got ready for work. Um, I have recently taken them to work and put them in my office to help me deal with COVID, but um, (laughs) those were very, very healing for me. And then journaling, I journaled almost every day, and so that helped me get my thoughts together. And what's so nice about that is now I can look back on it and see that the journey that has God taken me from, you know, from today going back. And so that was helpful. Exercise, you know, I think you can escape either in destructive ways or you can just to escape in things that make you feel better physically. So exercise, I walked almost every night. I would put my earphones in. I walked with friends some and we would talk, but it was healing as healing for me to be by myself and put my earbuds in and walk and listen to music and you know, as far as music, I would try to transcend into something that of, of a time when I was carefree. So 80s music, Prince. <laughs> Gotta love the 80s, yes. right? Yeah, Prince spoke to me. So Prince helped me through my divorce. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then books, you know, the book that started it all with that one class was, there was a couple, Love is a Choice and A House That Grace Built. Those were both about codependency that helped me and then some movies you know a couple that I think really spoke to me and then I can cry every time I watch them today is Eat Pray Love with Julia Roberts that one is amazing I could watch that over and over again and then the one as good as it gets 
it has uh, Diana Keaton and Alec Baldwin in it. And it is different than my story, but it also touches on the pain to the adult children. Okay. That's why I love that one. So classes at church were amazing. I took several. I, like, became a, a class junkie. <laughs> I went to a bunch of those. And then another turning point for me was once I did all of that, I finally went to a divorce care class and ended up meeting some lifelong friends there. And that was that was another good one. Well, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the scripture, you used the term, uh, you felt like you were brainwashing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I know sometimes that term brainwashing has a kind of a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, you were washing your brain because all of those years so much had accumulated from being in that dysfunctional relationship that it's like a plaque that accumulates mm -hmm. you know and you literally went through a period of time where you were washing that mm -hmm. out of your brain mm -hmm. and I think that's something that a lot of people need to think about when they're when they've been in a relationship that is dysfunctional and they've come to just take certain things just for granted like dysfunctional boundaries mm -hmm codependency, right. that kind of thing. It takes some time to wash that out of your brain. Yeah, and to and then to retrain it. Yes. I feel like mm -hmm. that I think it takes like three months, I can't remember, to a new habit to and that's what I feel like I was doing, trying to it was a new habit for me to think that I could I could make it through. Mm-hmm. This has been amazing. I want my listeners to know the the books that Kimberly has mentioned, I'm going to put in my show notes. So if you didn't quite catch what she said or whatever, that's perfectly fine. I'm going to I'm going to have it in the show notes. So Kimberly, I want to say thank you so much for spending your time and the effort that it took to kind of go back down memory lane. Now, really quick, you know, your situation right now, you you doing well? I'm remarried very happily in a healthy relationship with someone that I communicate completely different with. He's challenged me in so many ways. And as I was preparing today, the journal that I pulled out was day one of our new marriage and reading it compared to the journals that I had in the beginning of this journey. It was oh, wow. just a great way to compare and see where my healing and where has where God's brought me on that, this journey. That is wonderful. Yeah. It, your your story has ended so well. You've been through so much, and you had so much courage and had to face so much, and your story has ended so well. And I appreciate you, and I know all of our listeners appreciate you coming here and taking your time, and also being willing to open up those vaults yeah. of memory that have things that don't really feel good. But you did it because there might be a listener or two or five or a thousand out there that are walking that place and they're in that very scary lost place and they're just trying to connect with someone to try to figure out what to do and to also to know like i have entitled this whole interview series that they're not alone right. and it's so important to know that you're not alone if you're listening and you're going through something like this you are not alone and the listen to this podcast episode as many times as you need to you know, listen to what Kimberly has to say in terms of what has helped her so much. You know, you can pull up the show notes of the books and things that she's recommending. But also, you know, go out and find 
your own small groups in whatever, if you're a Christian, then you can probably find some small groups in a church. If you're not a Christian, then there might be some community areas that you could go to, community mental health or some community centers of places that have some gatherings of some people that are like-minded that you can pull together with and just tell your story and feel heard and not judged. Don't give up. Keep going one step at a time. That's, that's how we can do anything is just one step at a time is just keep going in the right direction. So before we wrap up, if anything in this episode has been helpful to you, then I would really appreciate you putting it on your social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any, whatever you prefer, whatever it is that you use, putting it out there, communicating it to other people. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And this is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.